So Genesis chapter one, um, I'm going to start with verse 26. You all are familiar with this verse. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, right? So it's a triune God. It's a God who's a father, son, and Holy Spirit, us, our. So aren't you glad he made us in three parts? You guys glad he made us like him? We have a spirit, a soul, and a body. And so, anyway, according to our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the livestock and over all the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you and every animal of the earth and every bird of the sky and everything that moves on the earth, which has life. Wow. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Man, God did a lot in six days. Do you guys agree? He must have thought about this for a while because he must have been really ready to create. Chapter two, and so the heavens and the earth were completed and all their heavenly lights. And by the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because on it he rested from all of his work, which God had created and made. Okay, Holy Spirit, let your word come alive. We need you. We need you. We need you. Holy Spirit, make your word come alive. Your word is life. It says in Proverbs 4.22, those who find your word find life and health to all their body. Your word is a solution for our eternal spirits. Your word is a solution for our temporary temples. It's the solution for every part of us. May your word come alive inside of us. In Jesus' name. So you notice here that God made everything, but we human beings are the crowning pinnacle of his creation. We are the masterpiece. We're the only part of his creation that's his image. The stars, the universes, the galaxies, the planet, the moon, the trees, the mountains, the rivers, the lakes, the clouds. Uh, none of those are in his image. He, he saved 
the best for last. I don't want us to take for granted anything that I just read. God, when he created man, he already created everything on this planet that we would ever need for eternity. And for, for instance, it says in the beginning, God created. After the sixth day, God's not creating anymore. That's something we need to understand. Like he didn't wake up this morning and he knows the crisis that's going on in Afghanistan. So he's trying to create new cows for food. He's never created another cow. He's never created another goat. He's never created another sheep. He's never created another lamb. He's never created another molecule of oxygen since he said it's finished. Since he rested. And he made all this when there was only two people on the planet but he made enough on this planet so that now seven or eight billion people, there's plenty of food, there's plenty of air, there's plenty of water for the eight billion people. And that was the case 6,000 years ago. He, he finished everything ahead of time for everything any human being would ever need for life and health. I'd say that's a really good God. What do you guys think? Do you think we have a good God that provided everything before one of us came to be and he didn't leave anything out. Like he never says, uh oh, I wish I would have thought about that. It, it's like, okay, so it, it's like it's like this. If he would have created us first instead of last, we would have had a really hard time surviving during the creation process. For instance, what if he created us on the first day and all there was was water? We would have had to tread water for maybe three days until he separated land from water. I don't know if Adam and Eve could have tread water for three days. You see what I'm saying? He, he planned this perfectly. He had all the food they would ever need. They didn't, they didn't like wake up one morning and say, hey, God, I know you gave us this planet, but we're hungry. Can you make us some food? And he goes, oh, I forgot. He didn't forget. He made all the food, all the water, all the oxygen, all the provision, all the comfort, all the relationship, all the protection, everything we'll ever need, he's already done it. That's why it says God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. You know, Jesus came again and reestablished that when he paid the price. You guys know that. When he said it's finished on the cross, in John 19, 30, when he said, Tetestalai, Jesus actually redid everything that the Father did in the beginning because God's never changed his mind. And I'm glad this morning that the Holy Spirit is teaching me that a lot of my prayer life, a lot of my faith life, a lot of my journey these years, I'm 60, right? I'm getting ready to turn 61 in October. I'm actually the age of two of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Isaiah 60 and Isaiah 61. So this is really a good year for me to be alive. They're two of my favorite chapters. What I'm, I guess what I'm saying is this. I used to think I always had to pray for God to release something from heaven that I thought I needed. But in this season of my life, I'm really starting to learn that he's already given me everything I'll ever need. And I need to start believing I have what he says I have and that I am who he says I am. And that I actually do have all authority. I actually do have love. I actually do have faith. 
I actually do have healing. Come on. I, everything that the word says I have, it's already inside of my spirit. So my job as a person of faith is not trying to get God to release something from heaven. My job as a Christian is trying to get God to teach me how to release what's already put in, put inside of my spirit. Can somebody say amen? You see, I think we've gone about it wrong. Like we're desperate. We're always saying, I'm desperate, I'm desperate, I'm desperate, or I'm hungry, I'm hungry, or I'm thirsty, or I'm thirsty. Well, my suggestion is instead of just staying hungry and desperate and thirsty, why don't we start drinking and eating what we have? He's not holding himself back. He doesn't give the spirit by measure. He wants to give us the spirit more than we want to give gifts to our children. Come on, you guys. Like it's time for us to eat. <laughs> It's time for us to drink. It's time for us to embrace everything that he says he's given us. You say, well, I need wisdom. No, you don't. The manifestation of the spirit is wisdom first. All you need is God. And if you have God, you have everything you'll ever need. He left nothing out of the equation. I'm really trying to get us to see something here for the first time. God knew what we would need every day of our life before one day came to be, and he has it all covered. That's how Paul could write in Philippians that God will supply all of our needs. Why? Because he knew what they would be before we ever had one. Everything's covered. You need faith, he's already got you covered. Come on, you need courage, he's never going to leave you, and he is courage. Amen? Amen. I'm not going to move on from this until it sinks in a little bit. Jesus, or God, who created everything in six days, didn't rest on the seventh day because he was tired. <laughs> you know why he rested? He rested because everything was complete and perfect. Like when, when, when a lawyer finishes his case, he doesn't rest because he's tired. He doesn't rest because he needs a little energy to present his last witness. He rests when he knows he's completed, completed his case, right? We, God didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because everything he did was perfect and it was done. There was nothing left undone. Everything the whole human race will ever need until God himself burns up this planet and makes us a new one. Everything we'll ever need, it's already been provided. Come on, our healing, our deliverance, our peace, our joy, Everything we'll ever need, it's already here. It's already been provided. He just wants us to believe it so it can start manifesting in our lives instead of being locked deep down in our spirits where we don't know how to connect with our spirits. The kingdom of God is in the spirit, and the spirit of God is in our spirit. And so all that's in heaven has already been deposited inside of us. And if we could start getting that mindset instead of, Lord, we need to cry out. We need you to come down and rend the heavens. He already did rend the heavens. He's not needing us to wait for him to do something. He's actually waiting on us to do something. We've already been given everything we'll ever need. He's actually waiting for some man or some woman to take his word seriously and start doing it. And then he would have to back him up because his word says if we would believe and preach that message, he would back us up with the signs that would follow. And you, look, everybody listen to me. You, you open a couple of blind eyes in your church or raise somebody from the dead, I think you'll have all the revival you can handle. What do you guys think about that? If we actually start doing what the word says, I think revival is already happening. God's just waiting on somebody to believe we've been given everything 
that we'll ever need. Amen. I don't want to move on from this. It, you know, in Hebrews 4, it talks about there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God who would dare enter into it. And then verses 10 and 11, it says, make every effort, you know, work to enter that rest. I think that's the hardest work of faith is to enter the rest. And what does rest mean? It doesn't mean we're tired. It means we actually have come to the conclusion. We believe we have everything that God says we have. We're no longer wrestling with the fact, I wonder if we really are filled with his presence. I wonder if the Ephesians 1, 19 verse that says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead actually is inside of us. I'm wondering if we could ever get to the place where we actually believe we are who Jesus says we are. We're the body of Christ. That all the fullness of the deity dwells in him. And if it dwells in him, then he dwells in us. Colossians 1, 27. I'm wondering if that would be the rest that he wants all Christians to enter into, that we could stop trying to work and actually realize he's done all the work. He just needs us to believe. <laughs> this is stretching me in these days. You know, as a 60-year-old, I thought I had to work harder. And what if the whole thing's been waiting on me to rest harder? What if there would be no anxiousness? What if there would be no anxiety? What if worry would be impossible? Because I actually believed I have everything he says I have. Amen. Are you guys good with me? I want you to turn with me to Ephesians. I want to read some from Ephesians. You know, guys, I used to think, you know, because I read the Bible, you know, you guys know my habits. I read the Bible every three weeks, right? Well, I listen to it and read it both. And I used to think that I had to try to find a way to pray against the principalities in the second heaven. So the answers out of the, out of the throne room could get down here, like in Daniel chapter nine and 10. You guys know when he set to praying and fasting that immediately the demonic realm tried to stop the answer from coming out of heaven down into earth, right? And Michael, the archangel, had to make a way so the answer could come. And it got there in three weeks, but the first day he prayed, you know, the angel said, God tried to send it, but the demon stopped it. And I used to think that was the motivation for we need to pray and fast. We need to cry out. We need to pray that God will open the heavens over our church, over our family, over a region, right? So we can have revival. But then it occurred to me one day, that's in the old covenant. That's before Jesus paid the price. That's before the veil was torn in two. And I don't have to start outside of the courts and thank him and praise him to get in. I don't have to go through the lava and wash myself and get clean. I don't have to lay on the altar because I've already given up my life. And I don't have to go and eat the showbread and light a candle and offer up my incense. So I have privilege. If, if I do enough, I can actually get into the Holy of Holies. I actually start in the Holy of Holies because Christ lives inside of me. All of heaven is inside of me. You guys understand the throne room is actually in my spirit. I don't need to cry out for God to open up and send angels so the answer can come. I actually need to believe the answer's already been put inside of me. 
I don't need to pray that the angels will keep the demons from keeping the answers from coming. I need to pray that I could get my mind to believe what my spirit already knows is truth. All of God's presence lives inside of me. Paul prayed in Ephesians that the fullness of the full measure of God. <laughs> Are you kidding me? See, that changes things for me. I don't know about you guys. I, If everything that I need and the people I minister need is already inside of me, that changes the whole way I've thought about prayer and consecration. And I, I'm actually feeling like I have to learn my faith all over again right now because I'm trying to learn how to release what's already in me instead of trying to get what the word of God says I already have. So I'm a 60 year old learner and I feel like I'm in kindergarten when it comes to the things of the spirit. So let's read here in Ephesians. Let's, let's start with verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So next time you think you need to ask God to bless you, maybe you ought to think again. He said you've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing. If he says you've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing, maybe there's no blessings left to bless you with. Unless he's a liar, which we know he can't lie. So everything that's a blessing, you've been given it in the heavenly places, which is the spirit, right? And guess where that spirit is? It's in your spirit. So all the blessings you'll ever need for eternity, God's already given you in Christ. <laughs> Whoa, come on. Then verse four, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He chose us before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Isn't that a wonderful thing that he chose us for that? He predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters to Jesus Christ. You say, well, I don't know if he accepts me. He predestined you to be adopted as his son, as his daughter. You need to hear this before he breathed one molecule of matter into existence he already had decided he wanted you adopted as a part of his family so don't ever think you're not accepted don't ever think you're not worth the whole universe because he chose you before he made one other thing he chose you to be in his family he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through jesus christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace with, with which he favored us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he set forth in him regarding his plan of the fullness of the times to bring all things together in Christ things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him 
who works all things in accordance with the plan of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in the Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Now that phrase is the highest phrase in the Bible, to the praise of his glory. You need to understand there's not a higher phrase in the whole Bible. And he's talking about us. All that Christ has done in us is to the praise of his glory. <laughs> in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of the promise, who is a first installment of our inheritance. So as good as it is, listen to this, as, as good as it is to have the Holy Spirit as our best friend, that's just a down payment. Can you imagine how good it's going to be forever? I mean, you get a down payment. Who is a first installment of our inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. You know how God gets praise? You know how he feels his glory rising? When you allow his grace to continue to redeem you from the fallenness and the lostness to the oneness with God himself. And that's what makes God's day, not your performance. What makes God's day is that you allow his grace to perform his will in you and make you one with him. That makes God's day. For this reason, I too, having heard the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you in your love for all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom, revelation, knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the boundless greatness of his power towards us who believe these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So here's what I've done in my prayer life. When I'm going to a church, when I'm getting ready for my Zoom, when I'm getting ready to minister you know, eight or nine times in the next five days here. This is what I pray. God, pour out your spirit on them. God, release healing. God, release deliverance. God, give them a heart to hear. God, open their eyes. God, we need revival. God, we need your power. God, and that's the kind of prayers I've always prayed. And you know the kind of prayers Paul prayed here that we would read 2,000 years later? You know, the whole motivation for Paul's prayer life was this, God, you've already done everything. Would you open their hearts and their minds so that they can see it and believe everything you've already done? That's a little different than God, we need you to do all this. Maybe prayers of faith wouldn't be asking God to do anything. Maybe prayers of faith would be thanking God for everything he says he's already done. Paul wrote down a prayer here that he knew people 2,000 years from him would be reading. And he didn't say, 
Father, put the anointing on him. Father, pour out your spirit on him. Father, release your healing. He didn't pray that. You know what he prayed? Father, please let him see. Let them see in their spirit all that you've done for them already. Whoa. Come on, man. I wish somebody was excited. I'm just like hot. I just feel God's fire on me right now. Come on, man. I wonder if the power that raised Jesus from the dead really is inside of us. Or if this is just all a facade and we're all just deceived. I am just curious if the power that raised Jesus from the dead really is inside of everybody on this Zoom call. Which means the power that creates a universe with words spoken is inside of us. And I'm wondering if our fight should be stopping to get God to give us power and maybe our fight should be God teach us what it means to believe you from the, from the heart of who we are all the way to our head so we can start resting because resting is where the power is. It's not in striving, it's in resting. Come on, you guys. It's not in trying, it's in trusting. It's not in, it's not in desperation. It's in, ah, I have everything. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't have one want. I don't have a want. He supplies everything. He's given me everything I need for health, for life, for godliness. I just got to figure out how to get out of my spirit all that God says he's already given me. Anybody with me? Is anybody with me? Anybody, anybody hungry for this? So let's keep praying. which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named not only in this age, but in the one that's to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and made him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in your offenses and sins in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all previously lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the boundless riches of his grace in the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not a result of work, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Those verses, to me, are the equivalent 
to the Genesis 1 passage. Jesus is letting us know through Paul's writings that everything sin costs us, Jesus has redeemed us. Sin cost us life eternal until we are born again. Sin cost us health eternal until we receive our healing. Sin cost us our peace until we get our deliverance. Sin cost us everything, but the blood of Jesus reversed the curse and is more powerful than the curse. And Paul's letting us know that everything that we lost because Adam and Eve ate from the wrong tree Jesus says, I never changed my mind for you. I still want you to run the planet. I still have provided everything you'll ever need. I just need you to believe again. Amen. See, it takes the pressure off when you realize uh, the love of God lives inside of you. The power of the raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. That, that the healer actually lives inside of you. It kind of changes everything. Like the healer lives inside of you. So our job as Christians shouldn't be able, shouldn't be like, let's get God on the scene. Our, our job as Christians should be God's inside of me. Let's let, I'm going to go to the scene and release his presence. Amen. Come on. Is this stretching anybody? Or are you guys all cool? Check this out, Romans 8, 9. I want to read Romans 8, 9. This is a good verse. I wrote down a couple verses on this little card. This is my sermon. Romans, Romans, 8, Romans 8, 9 says this. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So what is this saying? If I'm a, if I'm a believer, if I'm a Christian, then Jesus himself actually lives inside of me. And the point I'm trying to make is, if Jesus lives inside of me, and him and the Father are one, that makes me and the Father one, because the one who's one with the Father actually is one with me now. And so I'm seated in heavenly realms right now, far above everything that I think is my problem. My spirit is already in victory, far above everything that I'll ever face. My spirit has already overcome. My job as a Christian is to appropriate what's in my spirit into my mind, my emotions, my body, so that the temporary parts can benefit on my eternal part. A lot of times people come up to me and say, well, how can you expect us to live in victory? We're just human. And that's a lie because you're not just human. You need to hear what I'm going to say here. If you're a Christian, at least one third of you is wall to wall Holy Spirit. Did you guys hear what I just said? At least one third of you, because we're spirit, soul, and body, right? So at least one third of us is wall to wall God. So you don't have the excuse, I'm just human. You're not. You're actually a spirit that has a soul that lives in your body. And we're supposed to be in the image of God, and God is spirit, right? John 4 says God is a spirit, and those who worship him have to worship in spirit and truth. So we are spirits predominantly. First of all, we're spirits. And if we could get that down right, 
we would never have defeat in our lives because in the spirit, there's no limits. In the spirit, we're free. In the spirit, we're healed. In the spirit, we're brave. In the spirit, faith is perfect. In the spirit, love is perfect. So if we could just live in the spirit and be empowered in the spirit and be led by the spirit and walk in step with the spirit and be the way God originally intended us to be, then we could run the planet. We could run our lives. We could follow God with no hearts condemning us. And we could have anything we ask because we're not asking anything amiss because we know what his will is because the will of God is us manifesting him. Yay. So here's the point. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Well, how can you fail when love never fails? Am I right, Rich? I mean, am I skewed here or just... Let me, let me tell you something else. In, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says God's glory is inside of you. I mean, that's why, that's why the sanctifying work of the Spirit, if we'll believe the truth, it says, so the glory of Christ can actually be in you. And remember when Jesus prayed in John 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth as you sent me in the world. So I send them in the world for their sakes. I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. I don't pray for them alone, but all afar off who will believe because of their message so that they may be one with us, just as you and father and me are one. So the whole world will know. So I ask that you give them the same glory that you gave me so that they may be one just as we are one. Do you guys understand? Not only does Jesus live in us by the Spirit, not only is the same power that raised him from the dead in us by the Spirit, did you guys realize the same glory that's in Jesus is in us by the Spirit? You see, if we start thinking like this, it's going to change the way we pray. <laughs> it has to. His glory's inside of us. Hmm. I got three verses I kind of wrote down together. First John 4, 17, that's the verse that says, as he is, so are we in this lifetime. Do we believe that? Come on, not as he was. Remember when he was a, a suffering servant that wanted to gather Jerusalem, but they wouldn't let him. Not that person, not the person who was despised and rejected, not the person who was beaten, not the person who was flogged, not the person who was speared and nailed and spiked in the head. Not that person. When it says, as he is, so are we. He's talking about as he is now, the resurrected Christ, the eternal Christ, the victorious conqueror, the king of kings, the ruler of the universe, the one who has a golden sash, the one who has burnished bronze feet, the one who has a robe, come on, the one who has eyes like fire and hair like wool and the voice like many waters. As he is, the resurrected victorious Christ, so are we in this lifetime. That's the power of love. And then I wrote down, well, what keeps us from believing that? It's our minds. Am I right? Because our spirits believe this, don't we? Don't in our hearts, we believe the word in our hearts, don't we? That's real faith, what you believe in your heart, what you believe in your spirit. But our minds continue to contradict what the spirit believes. Well, guess what? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. 
So we got to quit using our minds as our excuses and start realizing he's given us his mind. He's, it's in our spirit, but we can, we have access to it. Aren't you guys glad that we have the mind of Christ? Aren't you glad that as high as his thoughts are above the heavens, you know, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his thoughts above our thoughts. But yet the Holy Spirit is designed to make known his thoughts to us. Come on, you guys, John 14 through 16. The Holy Spirit wants to make everything known that Christ has to us. He wants to make it all known to us. I don't think we're I don't think we're scratching the tip of the iceberg when it comes to what is ours and whose we are and what we have access to. I mean if we really believe we're like Jesus in this lifetime, if we really believe we have the mind of Christ, if we really believe the power that raised Jesus from the dead, that Jesus himself lives inside of us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Come on. If we really believe the same glory that Jesus had is inside of us, wouldn't we have more boldness? Wouldn't we have more confidence? Wouldn't we be fearless? Come on, you guys. Come on. The last verse I wrote down is 1 John 2.20. It just says you have an anointing. You know everything you'll ever need to know. It's already in your spirit. Because the all-knowing God actually lives in your spirit by his spirit. And so you know everything. You have an anointing. So your job is not to ask God to give you what he's already given you. Your God is to figure out by the spirit, how do I tap in? How do I tap in to this glory, to this wisdom, to this power? And that's our journey of faith. It's an inward journey of trusting what he says is true. You guys with me? Come on, you guys. Are you guys with me? This is not a fight for God to come and help us. This is a fight for us to get out of the way and actually believe he's already done everything. Hmm. So how do we get access? You know, Colossians 3.10, God predestined us to be conformed to the image way before we ever knew him. His desire would, would be we'd be right back to the image of God so we could rule the planet that he created for our pleasure. That was his desire. And Hebrews 4 says there's a rest that we can enter into. And Isaiah 30.15 says in repentance and rest and trust. That's how we get our salvation, right? It's in resting, it's in trusting, it's in resting, it's in trusting. Psalms 4610, you know, that's one of our all-time favorite verses, you know, be still or stop striving. Once you enter my rest, you'll know me. If you could ever really know me, there's no room for fear because perfect love casts out fear. I know the doctor said this, but if you really know me, you know, I'm not caught off guard and I, I died on this cross so that by my stripes you were healed. I've already done it. If you know me, you know that. And if you really know that, then instead of praying, okay, God, I need you to heal me, you start saying, okay, God, I know you already have. Thank you. 
that by your stripes I was healed and I'm going to learn to receive what you purchased for me because you said it's finished and you covered everything I'll ever need. And I'm no longer going to try to play catch up. I'm going to try to be a person that pleases you because I live by faith in what your word says is truth. By your stripes, I was healed by your bruising. I was put together by your beating. My mind was set free by your sacrifice. Demons can't overwhelm me. I'm family. Your blood's enough for me. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I wish somebody was happy. I wish you guys were happy I'm teaching this. Matthew 6.32, it says we're not supposed to worry about anything we're worrying about because it says your father knows what you need before you even ask him. I wonder if that's a true verse. I mean, seriously, guys, I'm wondering if he actually knows the healing we need for our spouse. I wonder if he actually knows the provision we need for our move. I wonder if he actually knows the peace we need in our weary mind. I wonder if, I wonder if he's a God that can be trusted and he knows everything we need because he's already put inside of us everything we'll ever need. And so instead of worrying, maybe I should just start seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And everything I've always worried about, he'll take care of. Yay. You guys good? I'm trying to be real calm. Inside, I'm burning up right now. I really am trying to be calm. He's working in us right now, you guys. In 1 John 3, 18, it's an interesting verse. It says, we need to put our hearts at ease so that we know our hearts don't condemn us. So then we know whatever we ask of him, we know we have it because our hearts don't condemn us. But it doesn't say he'll put our hearts at ease. It says we need to put our hearts at ease. You know what that means? You need to stop doubting what he says is true. You need to start agreeing with his word over you. Come on, you're his beloved, you're his child, you're his bride, you're his friend, you're his house, you're his temple, you're his dwelling place. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's going to finish what he started. We need to put our hearts at rest. He's going to finish what he started. Amen? We need to put our hearts at rest. We need to get to the place where we actually believe my God will supply all of my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. How about that one to believe? How many want to believe that one? Come on. Or Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's nothing I can't do through Christ who strengthens me. All things covers all things. So I can do this through Christ who strengthens me. What if I just believe the word? Or Philippians 4.13, what if God actually is working in me right now 
to do his good pleasure. That wasn't 2, 4, 13. That was 2, chapter 2. What if God actually is working in me to do his good pleasure? What if I just would rest enough to believe that? Come on, you guys. What if I could get to the place like Peter and John did in Acts 3, where I don't rely on anything except what I have? <laughs> because I actually believe I have it. Now, this should inspire everybody on this Zoom. What if we got to the place where we actually believe the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that we have? And so when there's a 40-year guy that's used to being crippled from his mother's womb that used to beg, now we actually believe we have the power that raises the dead inside of us. So it's no big deal to get a guy up out of a paralyzed situation because what we actually believe we have, we actually can give away. I'm trying to get us to believe that the power that raised Jesus from the dead actually is inside of all of us. Come on, that Jesus himself, the healer, the healer is actually inside of all of us, that the glory of God is actually inside of us. It's not a far off somewhere, it's actually in us. And if we started believing that, then we can say what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And it would have to happen. Because as a man believeth in his heart, so he is, right? And, and if we believe in our heart and we don't doubt, it's not your head. Your head's where you doubt. You can, you can get miracles without having a perfect head, but you can't get any miracles unless your heart believes. You've got to believe in your spirit. That's why in that story of Mark chapter 9, when the man, you know, in response to Jesus saying, if you can believe all things are possible to those who believe, he said, I believe. He believed from his spirit, he believed from his heart, but his head still didn't believe, he still doubted, help my unbelief. You can still have doubt in your head. It doesn't stop you from getting your miracles. I'm trying to get us to believe in our hearts. I'm trying, I'm trying to get us to believe what our spirits believe, regardless of how we feel. Feelings come and go. We gotta start knowing God by his word. Would you guys agree with that? We gotta quit trying to know God by how we feel. We've gotta start knowing God by his word. His word every word is said, Every word that says anything about God is true. Aren't you glad we can believe the word of God? You know, sometimes, think, think about this. Sometimes I'm thinking about the story of Elijah. I think I might wind up on this. Maybe, maybe we'll end. Yeah, I'm just listening here for a second. You know, Elijah says, it's not going to rain again until I say so. And the rain stopped. So he must have heard that from God because he has the same power that raised Jesus from the dead living in him. The Holy Spirit rested on Elijah, right? And then God speaks to him and says, I want you to go to this brook cherub. And I've already commanded the ravens to feed you there. And so he goes there. And if he was willing to do what the spirit told him to do, that's where his provision's at. There's a lot of times Christians are waiting for God to do something and he's already told us to do something, but we got to get there for the provision to happen. We've got to get to a place that makes no sense. Like ravens are going to feed me. But if God says that's the place of provision, then you got to go there. You can't just stay where you're at. So obedience has a language. It's called 
okay, I'll do it. It's not just lip service. It's actually whatever the Holy Spirit says, that's where the miracle comes. That's where the provision is. So then, you know, the creek dries up. And so now God tells Elijah, there's going to be a widow there in Zarephath that'll take care of you, but you got to go find her. And it wasn't just any widow. It was the one widow that Luke 4 talks about is the one. There was all kinds of widows, but there was only one that God had chosen. Because God doesn't do things by chance. God has every one of your days. I want, I want everybody to hear this. Some of you are my age. Some of you are older. Some of you are younger. It doesn't matter. We have one life, and it's soon going to be over. Either going to, we're going to be with Jesus because we're dead, or we're going to be with Jesus because he returns. It's coming very fast. And all of, you, all of your miracles are in obedience and trust to what the word of God tells you to do. Miracles of healing, miracles of deliverance, miracles of provision. Every miracle that you'll ever need, it's in the obedience to the word of God. So God tells him, go find this widow. And so he goes and he finds her and she goes, me and my son are going to die. We're going to make our last meal and we're going to die. We don't have enough for anything, right? And he goes, okay, here's what I need you to do. Make me the first sandwich. Now the news would say evangelist demands last meal from woman. And now she's going to die. That's what the news would say. But you know what's really going on? The woman didn't have enough for her need. And so the man of God gave her a chance to turn it into a seed Because if you don't have enough for your needs, you always have enough for your seed. And she gave the first sandwich to Elijah and she built a relationship with him. And because of that, she never ran out of food. And she had a relationship with a man that could raise her dead son because she was willing to trust his word. And what if that's how simple it is for all of us to live in the miraculous? What if all of us just have to trust his word, as scary as it may seem, as ludicrous, as insane as it may seem? What if the miraculous is waiting on us to go there? <laughs> go to a town that means refired by, by pressure and fire into precious metals. That's what Zarephath actually means refined by fire and pressure into precious metals. What if God says, I'm going to write a story that people will be blessed by forever, but I need you to go to a place where they're going to try to persecute you, but that's where I'm going to do my best work in you. And so Paul, the guy who wrote a lot of this stuff that I love, it says, now I've, I've never noticed this before until this week. I've, I've actually learned something this week. I've been reading my Bible a lot, and it's amazing you can learn stuff. How many believe you can learn stuff if you read the Bible? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 that when you pray in a tongue, you speak the mysteries of your spirit to God. And then he said, I, I pray in tongues more than all of you. And I got to thinking, did Paul get to write 13 books of the New Testament because he had, you know, the law and the prophets memorized as a, you know, a religious expert before he encountered the living word? I, I don't think he got to write 
a third of the new or a half of the new testament because of his knowledge of the word i think he got it right 13 books because he spent so much time praying in the mysteries of his spirit to God that God had a person that he could start revealing all truth to because it was already inside of Paul's spirit because he had the mind of Christ he had an anointing he knew everything it was just deep in his spirit and to get it out he practiced praying in his spirit when he was in private. That's why I said in church, I'd rather you speak five intelligent words than 10,000. I'm not wanting you to do it in church. But if you want to start believing you are who I say you are, maybe you should start getting in the spirit more often because everything you'll ever need is in the spirit. I'm just throwing this out, you guys. What if everything that God says is true and we just have to get it out of our spirits? What if we have life and health and eternity and power and resurrection and healing and deliverance and peace and joy and satisfaction and gladness and rejoicing? What if, what if we have an unending supply, but it's all in our spirit? Man, I want to live in the spirit. I want to get along with the spirit. I want to live with Jesus. I want to be with him. I, I don't know about you guys. Just this lesson makes me want to lock myself in a room with my book. I just want to become pregnant with the spirit. Anybody want, does anybody want what I'm talking about here? I mean, is anybody desperate for the reality that we already have to get out of us? So it starts changing the culture around us. It's already in us, you guys kingdoms in us that the king is in us <laughs> he's in us so what stops it doubt it's not our faith we all have faith you guys we all have faith that's how we got saved by grace you've been saved through faith we don't we can't say we don't have faith come on ephesians 2 8 says we all have faith romans 12 3 says we've all been given a measure of faith we all have plenty of faith so you can't say, well, I need more faith. Why do you need more faith when you already have a major faith? He didn't, listen, Shelly Kincaid, he didn't give you a thimble and me a bucket. Come on, Janelle. He didn't give you an eyedropper and, and me a gallon jug. He gave all of us a measure of faith. And it's perfect because it was his measure. And so we don't need more faith. We need to get our unbelief out of our heads. The power that stops this reality that I'm talking about from being our reality is what our brain thinks. We, we need to practice Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 as a lifestyle. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. <laughs> he will direct your path. In other words, I need to quit trying to understand him with my feelings and my thoughts. I need to start understanding him with my spirit so it'll affect my feelings and my thoughts. And I can start believing with my brain what my heart knows is true. Are you guys with me? Am I doing too much? Do I need to stop or can I try to wrap this up? I, I think, you guys, the, the key to victory is finding a way for truth to become greater than doubt 
And that's something we're going to have to choose to do because the whole world is designed to create unbelief. Everything you hear from the news, everything you hear from academia, everything you hear from the medical field, everything you hear from the political realm, everything you hear from institutionality is designed to prop you up and think that we have the answers instead of there's only one answer. And we're indoctrinated with, well, you need to get this shot and you need to get this vaccine and you need to make this precaution because now you're 40, now you're 50, now you're 60, now you're 70. And this is what usually happens. And if you hear these things long enough, the way that seems right to man becomes the way that seems right to you. And we need to renew our minds by filling our minds with the truth of God's word instead of the truth of the words of this world. Because we're never going to get to a place where we can say, I believe, unless we're actually believing it because of what we're hearing. And my challenge to everybody on the Zoom is this. Get enough of his word and his spirit in you to where that's the voice that's shaping your belief. In other words, let it become predominant. Turn off the news. Turn off social media. Come on, shut off every other voice because faith comes by hearing and hearings by the word of Christ. And man doesn't live on bread, but on every word. So my prayer for you is that you'll get a hunger for the word. What he said a long time ago and he wrote in his book and what he's saying to you right now Get a hunger. Get a hunger for his word like you've never had. And let it change the way you believe. Because I'm going to tell you, we can become a bunch of believing Christians. We'll no longer keep Jesus in quarantine in our spirits. He'll be flowing out of us like a river of life wherever we go. And then we'll get to see his reality touching everybody else's reality. And it won't be striving, it'll be resting. Come on, you guys, it won't be, it won't be trying, it'll be trusting. And we'll be living his dream. That's my lesson today. That's my thoughts from the last three days here in this room with Jesus. I think we're just getting started. I think we're just getting started, man. I love you all. I don't want you to get over this lesson. I want you to lock yourself alone with Jesus. I want you to cry out to him and tell him you're sorry. You thought you had to add to it. You had to help him. He's just waiting on us to rest. 